Welcome to the Why on Earth Community Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry. And today we're visiting with Cynthia Tina, the founder of Community Finders. Hey, Cynthia, how you doing? I'm doing really good, Aaron. I'm excited to be here talking to you and share about intentional communities. Yeah, I'm excited as well. And, and this is actually a topic that's been near and dear to my heart for something like, gosh, going on 30 years now and, and so excited to be able to visit with you who has a, a really comprehensive view uh, into the world of intentional communities and eco villages really worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Excited to get into it. Cynthia Tina is the community matchmaker and founder of community finders offering programs to help people join and start intentional communities. She's also the founder of Eco Village Tours, bringing people on inspirational journeys to sustainable communities. She has visited more than 150 intentional communities around the world, including the Vermont Eco Village, where she lives in her self-built passive solar home. <laughs> That's where you are presently. Yes. <laughs> and formerly, she was the co-director of the Foundation for Intentional Community, where she is now also a spokesperson and educator. And she's also a former trustee of the Global Eco Village Network and former director of the Youth Eco Village Network, Next Gen North America. She holds a degree in sustainability from Goddard College, as well as certificates in permaculture and eco village design and yoga teacher training. And so, yeah, Cynthia, it's so exciting to know uh, not only that you've got this comprehensive global experience with respect to the dozens and dozens of eco villages and intentional communities on the ground, but you've also been very plugged in and instrumental in the global leadership around these communities and movements. And I guess, you know, just to kick things off, I, I want to ask how, how the heck did you get into all of this? You know, what, what, what drew you in this direction? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question to start with. And I wish I had a better answer. I never had, you know, a traditional job or like left the corporate world to switch into intentional communities and these more alternative things. It was really a gradual progression when I was a, a young person, really a child of uh, living in the suburbs outside of Boston with parents who are very loving and supportive, but not at all interested in the things that I'm interested in. So I just remember reading books um, that exposed me to more sustainable ways of living. I started a garden in my parents' backyard. I uh, was fortunate enough to have them let me travel where I wanted to when, as I got older. So I actually visited my first intentional community when I was 15, a place in North Carolina called Turtle Island. And that exposed me to yeah, just a very different culture than the one that I grew up in. Um, yeah, I grew up in a pretty suburban, you know, middle-class highway, shopping malls, rushing consumeristic kind of landscape. And so being able to get exposed to a slower way of life, something that's more connected to place and community, I think that was really inspiring for me and just propelled me to seek that out more and more and collect a variety of experiences in my basket, so to speak, um, and led me to travel throughout Europe, visiting communities, attending Goddard College, which is a low residency school. So I was able to travel while getting my degree in sustainability. And that put me in contact not only with these communities, as you mentioned, but also the organizations behind this movement and kind of the networks and networks of support that make it possible and facilitate people finding out about communities and helping communities grow. And that was really attractive for me and enabled me to exercise my leadership skills and, of course, develop a career now in this field, as well as having traveled and live in community. Uh, so it's been it's been a winding journey and it's fun to, you know, look back now and be like, oh, I see how all those threads line up to have brought me where I am now. 
Yeah, it's absolutely it's absolutely wonderful, and I'm 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 really excited to talk specifically about several of the offerings that you're providing the world through Community Finders. But before we get to that, I, I would love to get a sense for the the vast diversity in different intentional communities and eco villages out there. Um, this is by no means a a cookie cutter. Uh, network, right? That that you're uh, so closely connected with. We're talking about very different uh, and and diverse subcultures, aren't we? In all of these different communities. Yeah, for sure. It's really diverse. Uh, so the definition for an intentional community, broadly speaking is a group of people who choose to live near to each other or share common resources on the basis of explicit common values. So these are really values-driven communities that at their founding had an original document, vision, mission that then later members join into. So that's kind of the commonality or the umbrella term that is intentional community. But yeah, within that, there's so much diversity. Um, it's funny when I mention the word intentional community to somebody who's maybe not as connected, either it's, I either get like one of two reactions. It's either, oh, you're talking about like the hippie communes off in the woods. Or people are like, oh, you mean like the eco village, like the gated neighborhood, you know, rich person's paradise kind of thing. And it's it's I think that most intentional communities fall somewhere between those two extremes. But, yeah, it can it can run the gamut. It can be, you know, something super radical, you know, really mission driven, a community that's exploring the edges of permaculture and sustainability or uh, new ways of communication, uh, sexuality, diet could be a whole variety of things. And then you have communities that maybe are more like co-housing communities or really the community where I live, where we're just, you know, a strong neighborhood getting back to that old fashioned way of living where people know their neighbors and feel comfortable knocking on each other's doors where kids can run around and play and, and, you know, feel that safety and support. Um, we have a big garden here in our community where we all pitch in and help to grow food together. Uh, maybe that's a little bit more radical, but it's also not certainly as radical as some communities can get, especially those communities that share income. Um, most communities don't share income. Most um, have independent finances. So, yeah, it's um, it's exciting to explore all these diversity of communities, um, also religious and spiritual communities. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big, big tent. I think um, I think at the core, though, these communities are really important models for how we can do housing differently, how we can live, you know, our lives outside of this model of just nuclear families in single family homes with the white picket fences. And this is getting us back to or towards something that is more communal and more connected at the core. So. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And in, in your description of your own community, the growing of food together, the the safety of of kids being able to run around, you know, like the the good old days, some of us might might say, um, reminds me a lot of my visit to Slovenia. And I know you just recently did an eco village tour there um, in Slovenia, and. Yeah, let me ask you about that, because I, I, it's such a nice maybe jumping off point to hear about many of the different places you've visited and, and spent time and are expert on and, and can help now connect people to who are looking for potentially a different way of, of living in community and with deep connection to place. So I, I, I think this is such an important pattern and, and impulse emerging in our world right now among many of us. And so as a jumping off point, maybe you could tell us a bit about your, your recent uh, travels and time in Slovenia. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love that you've been to Slovenia as well, because it's kind of an obscure country. I think it's getting more on the map. Uh, but for those of you who are listening, who don't know, Slovenia is a small country um, that borders Austria and Italy and Croatia and Hungary. And so it's this little green gem on the sunny side of the Alps, as they say, and has a coastal Mediterranean region, but also an Alpine region. So a lot of diversity uh, in a small country that's about the landmass of Vermont, which is the state that I live in currently. And uh, I fell in love with Slovenia through falling in love with a man who lives there and, you know, have spent a long chunk of time, different multiple trips, probably several years at this point um, in and out of the country. And hmm, what to say? Yeah, I think there's an expression in Slovenia that um, a lot of the country feels like it is an eco village because for some reason, given the um, the history of the country and, and how things developed, people are living still many people in these smaller villages that are more connected to their roots and their cultural traditions. A lot of people have uh, gardens in their backyard and, and you know, make make medicines and, and wonderful alcoholic drinks and, and food from from the, the local sources. And uh, there are also in Slovenia a few eco-village projects that are more like specifically eco-village projects. One in particular where I've spent a lot of time is called Sunny Hills, which is perched on a hilltop. It is a community that is restoring a 200-year-old dry stone stack building. Uh, and um, yeah, they've they've restored one of the buildings. Now they've recently purchased and are restoring another one. So this is a model of a community that is re-inhabiting an abandoned village. There still are a few residents who live there, but largely this is one of the many villages throughout Southern Europe that are built out of stone. So they're made to last hundreds and hundreds of years, but yet you drive through the countryside and you see these ruins and these gorgeous, you know, works of architecture really crumbling. So there's an opportunity here for people to return to the villages, the village, the the villagers to become eco-villagers, yeah? And this is happening in a number of communities throughout Southern Europe, especially in Spain and Italy as well. Uh, so yeah, it's a special place, really special place. Folks can um, find it online and, and go and visit or join me next year as I do hopefully another eco-village tour to the country. Yeah, I was there for most of the month of June. We brought along uh, 10 people from America and Europe for a tour of the different communities throughout Slovenia, as well as just experiencing the culture and, and the food and the people. Oh, it was special. Fabulous. Okay. So you're going to, you're going to probably have another tour to Slovenia next year. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. So eco village tours, as you mentioned at the beginning, this is one of my businesses and we bring people on trips to different parts of the world uh, to experience the communities there. So Slovenia is one of them. I'm also planning a trip to Costa Rica in January and a few other trips to the States uh, in different parts of 2024. Uh, so yeah, it's a great way for people to experience these communities, especially if you've never gone to visit one before, or maybe you're a little nervous about how to do that, how to contact a community, or if you just want to experience communities that are my personal favorites and you can come with me to do that. So you get a little bit more of a insider view of many communities in a dedicated trip. It's fabulous. And, and if folks are interested in these tours, they can go to ecovillagetours.com, right? To learn more and connect with you there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I have all of the 2024 tours listed and you can sign up to get more information about them. That's excellent. And then also on your communityfinders.com website, you have a, a very special tool, a quiz that helps folks. It sounds like I, I have to confess, I haven't taken the quiz. Um, I probably will and want to, um, but it sounds like this helps us sort of do an assessment that gets us best aligned with the, the different uh, 
intentional communities that are out there. Is, is that is that a good way to describe it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So Community Finders is my main focus these days, and it's an organization designed to help people learn about, find, and join existing intentional communities. And the quiz is a fun entry point into the world of intentional communities. It takes you just a few minutes, answer some questions, and then you'll get an output of what is your community type. So there's five common types of intentional communities, you know, eco-villages, co-housings, urban communities, homesteading communities, uh, etc. And so you can uh, take the quiz to find out which one is a good fit for you. And you'll also get a guide to all of the different types of intentional communities. Um, Just one of the many resources I'm developing around helping people learn about community living because as there are many communities in the world there's probably close to 2000 just in the united states and uh, many more around the world depending on how you define intentional communities and so it's easy to learn about you know a specific community in a specific spot but then where is the information that's comprehensive in terms of categorizing the types and helping people know generally what the process looks like to visit or join or go through membership. Um, so that's really my aim with community finders in general. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, I'm going to encourage folks to go to communityfinders.com um, backslash quiz to uh, check that quiz out. And I guess I, I would like to ask about the membership process because I've actually I've been involved in a few different communities over the years, right? And so have a little idea just from my own experience. But I imagine out there in the in the entire uh, ar- array of communities that people can connect with, I imagine there's quite a bit of diversity in the membership process itself as well. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that is a fair assessment. Um, However, the important thing is that a community does have a membership process. Uh That's an important thing if somebody who's listening is developing an intentional community or thinking about doing so, or if somebody is looking at joining a community, you want to make sure that you have explicit, written down, step-by-step how one goes through a few different phases towards becoming a member. And uh, a good analogy to think about this is the idea of beginning a relationship or finding a person to marry. Uh, this, there's a lot of parallels between the, the process of marriage and the process of joining the community. And of course, it starts with that initial encounter, maybe going on some dates, maybe entering into a courtship phase and deepening commitment with the community and eventually really making a commitment and, um, you know, signing a piece of paper, buying your house, signing a rental agreement, and then entering the community. And as well as entering the community, the community should also have a really clear process for how one leaves uh, as well, how you sell your home, how you get out. Um, All of that should be really, really explicit and clear through a transparent agreement. Um, And membership processes in communities can take anywhere from a few weeks to a few months. Some communities even have a multi-year process before one is a full community member with all of the decision-making rights and ownership status. Uh, To give you an example, though, our community here, um, let me know if the the rain is bothering you. I don't know if you can hear that. I haven't noticed. I've only noticed that that you're noticing something there. Yeah. like a cat walking around or what, but uh, that's wonderful if you've, you're getting some rain right now. We are. We're having an afternoon storm roll in, so there's a lot of rain and some thunder and lightning. But if you can't hear it, no worries. I'll ignore it. Cool. <laughs> so, yeah, so in our community here in Vermont, uh, we are full at this time. We don't have any housing available, but when we did have lots still to sell, It would start with somebody coming to visit and getting a tour. That was step one. Step two was participating in a workday and meeting as many members of the community as possible. 
Step three was submitting a formal application, um, including a financial disclosure and answering some questions about, you know, why that person or that family really wants to join the community, what skills they have to offer. And then we have a community meeting to discuss this new application and this person and hopefully you know, using our decision-making processes, we all reach an agreement that, yeah, this is somebody we want to have join. And the way we're set up in our community is when you join, you actually buy your, your piece of land and your home or build your home with the community. Uh, so there's that part of it. And then there's also, yeah, there was some thunder. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> heard that one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And then uh, uh, that's for our home ownership portion. And then we have another section of the community that is our common land where our big garden and our pond and greenhouse are. And that is owned um, by a separate entity that we are all equal members in. So you'd also become an equal member in that common land space. How many folks or families or households are in your community just out of curiosity? Mm -hmm. We are eight households. Uh, mostly families with young kids. So it's a very kid-rich environment. And we're about walking distance into the town. Uh, and we're on a hillside with a bunch of other families and homesteads as our neighbors. So even though our community is relatively small, we're very well connected with our neighbors. And when we have potty parties and potlucks, it can be um, you know, over 30 people easily joining those gatherings. Yeah. That's wonderful. So, th- so this is a relatively, I think, small, intimate community. And, and there are some that are really quite large, right? And I'm thinking of Oroville, which I had he- heard about over the years and never have visited myself. But I understand there are some eco villages and communities out there where you've got hundreds and hundreds of people, if not thousands in some cases. Is that right? Definitely. Yeah. Oroville is arguably the largest intentional community. It's located in India, 3000 plus residents. I've been to visit Oroville. I spent um, two year, two weeks there during 2018. And yeah, this place is so large. I had to rent a scooter just to get around to see all the different neighborhoods and farms. Um, Oroville is an incredible center trying to create or bring about human unity. So when you visit, there's all these different pavilions set up for honoring many of the cultures of the world. Um, Oroville does have a spiritual focus. So the center of the community, the Matriman Deer is um, this giant globe. Folks can look up photos online, but it's this giant globe that's covered in leaf gold. The inside is, is made out of marble. So yeah, that's a very impressive community. You also have um, larger communities like Findhorn in Scotland, which is 600 residents. The largest eco-village in the United States is Eco-Village of Ithaca, located outside of Ithaca in New York State. And I believe there are around 500 residents that are separated into three different co-housing neighborhoods with many hundreds of acres of land, um, some of it in forest, uh, some in different farms, and businesses as well. Um, so yeah, communities can be pretty large. Um, most though, I would say are smaller. And as many established communities as there are, there are many more forming communities with a smaller number of people who are still growing and wanting to attract new members. So certainly if somebody is thinking to themselves, oh, I have a vision to start a community and, and we all have had ideas of starting a community at one point or another, I would really encourage you first to go visit some communities and see if there's something that exists that's similar to what you might want to create. And they may be looking for people and you may be the people that they're looking for and have a lot you can contribute and offer to that community. Yeah, I'm hearing I'm hearing some wisdom here about, you know, essentially not reinventing the wheel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. And that said, I'm curious, you know, with, with many of these forming communities, part of your expertise is helping advise uh, folks as they're going through this formation and development process. Is that is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That is a part of what I do. 
Um, And not to say I'm an expert in developing and creating communities, but I certainly know people who are and people who have expertise in particular areas, like a good lawyer for setting up an intentional community, a good finance person, a good marketing person. Um, So often I'm somebody who can guide groups really in that initial formation stage of what resources to look towards, some things to think about, especially when it comes to attracting more members. A lot of these projects start with just an individual or maybe a couple. And so it's it's hard to kind of break out of that phase and enter into enough people to actually create a community that has good roots that'll flourish in the long term. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really curious, obviously, somebody like you is connected to a lot of these communities and, and probably doing a lot of cross pollinating. Do you do you find in general among community members that there's a high degree of connectivity and cross pollination between different communities? Hmm, that's a good question. Hmm. Um, I think it really depends on the community, the nature of the community, its mission, and also the residents in the community. I have noticed that often there is at least one or two people living in a community who are really passionate about making those connections and kind of being that pollinator person or that bridge builder person. Uh, But it's certainly not true of all people in community. Um, And so I think this is an area that we can continue to strengthen our inter-community networks. Mm, You know, for example, I think in my community, uh, there's me and then maybe one or two other neighbors who are like, yeah, okay. For example, our um, our community network here in Vermont recently had a gathering in the spring. We're going to do another one in the fall. It's the first time that the Vermont intentional communities have ever gotten together to do something to be a network. So I went with one of my neighbors. Um, then other folks in the community aren't as interested because they are focused on their jobs and they have big families and they're you know they're just really wanting to be the people that hold down the hearth more so uh, versus being more of a pioneer or connector and more an outward person. Um. Absolutely. Not sure if the the storm created a little hiccup here in our connectivity. Let's see how things shake out here over the next little while. Did we lose you? Hello, hello. We had a had a little disconnection there. We got you now. Hi. Oh, hi. All right. Is it working okay now? Let's see. It certainly uh, cut out there. So let's just see how this goes for the next few seconds. I switched to my um, phone because it really, it is pouring buckets right now. So I think, yeah, I'm sure our, our satellite connection got disrupted. Okay. That would make sense. Um, we can just pick it right up and we'll uh, we'll edit that out, obviously. Okay. And I um, want to check that you can hear me okay. I do. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm, it's uh, actually, maybe I shut the door. I think that'll help sure. just me be able to hear myself a little better. Okay. Man. Okay. I usually have the door open because it looks nicer, but okay. I think this will be better. I'll be able to hear myself. Yeah, good. Okay. Great. Um, Yeah, I'll just pick up the thread uh, and jump right in and and say, uh, 
Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's the exact uh, situation in which the adage, it takes a village is completely uh, accurate, right? So you've got folks that are doing the connecting work and also folks holding down the hearth and it really is, it's a village with different functions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think some communities can be more structured about that, like having specific roles, um, having even a whole decision-making model and organizational structure that creates more formality around that. And it's certainly true for larger communities, you know, kind of the bigger the community gets, it almost necessitates having like different roles and some people being more of the communication people and the visitor coordinators and the outreach people. Um, I think because our community is so small, we can just have that village dynamic evolve in a more organic fashion, which is really cool to see develop. Oh, it's so exciting. Yeah, and of course, some of the projects that we're cultivating at the Why on Earth community around the United States and internationally potentially has some tie-ins and, and links to the work you're doing. And I'm really looking forward to exploring that. In fact, perhaps we'll chat about that for a minute or two in our behind the scenes segment for our ambassador network, uh, which we'll record after the main podcast here. And let me just take the opportunity to remind folks that this is the Why on Earth Community Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry, and today we're visiting with Cynthia Tina, the founder of Community Finders, and want to be sure to mention that you can connect with her and her work and offerings at communityfinders.com. The quiz is at communityfinders.com slash quiz. Uh, we mentioned ecovillagetours.com and we're going to also mention um, and, and discuss for a moment a couple of the other organizations that Cynthia has worked with and continues to work with Foundation for Intentional Community, Global Eco Village Network and Next Gen North America. And those uh, URLs and links are uh, all in the show notes as well. And want to be sure to give a special thank you and shout out to our sponsors and partners who make our podcast series possible. This includes Chelsea Green Publishing, who of course are also headquartered in Vermont. And uh, Chelsea Green is offering a special 35% discount on all of their books and audiobooks. You can access that going to whyonearth.org, go to our partners and supporters page, and you'll see the link and the information on Chelsea Green and several of our other partners and sponsors, which uh, also includes Purium Organic Superfoods, they're offering $50 off of your first order or 25% off, whichever is greater. Waylay Waters uh, Soaking Salts, these are the Colorado grown hemp infused aromatherapy soaking salts. We've got Earth Hero Sustainable Products for the household, the garden, the garage, whatever it might be. Of course, we've got Soilworks Biodynamic Garden Preparation and Earth Coast Productions, without whom uh, none of this podcast series and, and much of the work we're doing at the Why on Earth community would be nearly what it is today. And finally, a, a very special thank you to our ambassadors, our growing global network of ambassadors who are doing amazing work, community leadership work, organizational leadership work, change-making work in communities throughout the world. And if uh, you haven't be- yet, become a fully activated ambassador and you'd like to, you can just go to our uh, Become an Ambassador page. Many of our ambassadors give on a monthly basis to support our work. And if you'd like to give, you can simply go to the donate or support button and set up whatever monthly amount works well for you. If you wanna do a $33 or more gift per month, we'll send you a jar of the Waylay water soaking salts as a thank you and a gesture in the uh, shared uh, practice of self-care. So uh, the, a huge thanks to everybody making this all possible. And of course, Cynthia, um, there, there's so much, it seems to me, there's so much opportunity in this emerging era of meta-industrial culture worldwide for even more connectivity among intentional communities, eco-villages, and many other neighborhoods and, and villages and companies and organizations and NGOs doing all of this different stewardship, sustainability, regenerative health, wellness work around the world. And I'm, I'm so curious to hear a little more about what's going on with 
Foundation for Intentional Community, Global Eco Village Network, and NextGen North America. And, and you know, is is there a growing global uh, network basically that people can increasingly plug into and participate in? Hmm. Yeah, I think I think there is. I um, it's not yet a unified <laughs> global network, but it's certainly a network and one that has many different nodes within it. And so those organizations you mentioned, as well as others, the co-housing association of the US and Canada and the UK, um, many other organizations that are coming at specific niches of the community's movement broadly. So IC.org, which is the Foundation for Intentional Community website, they have a directory of communities, as does ecovillage.org, which is the Global Ecovillage Network's website. All of these different community directories, I actually have a blog article on my website listing 21 intentional community directories. So, and there's probably more than that. Um, so, yeah, I think it's been an effort for a while to see how these different directories might become compatible with each other. Yeah, you heard the, the thunder again. Woo, compatible with each other. <laughs> and, uh, and, and have it be more easily accessible for people who want to, you know, find all the communities. And I think there's good progress being made towards that um, and as well as towards other practical ways that these organizations can support each other and collaborate, um, shared events, uh, shared educational opportunities, really helping to develop the technology to make these directories more easily searchable and connectable. It's uh, definitely a project that's on my mind a lot because what I do, I'm this community matchmaker person, which is mostly taken the form of one-to-one working with clients, helping to recommend them communities that could be a fit, good fit and supporting them on their journey. But there's only so much I can do as one person. So I'm really interested in how we can create platforms that enable people to connect independently of, of me kind of holding their hand, but really using these emerging technologies, as you mentioned, all the algorithms and the AI to, yeah, just make it easier for people to go where they want to go to find their people and to build more community. Sounds like something that it could be the Why on Earth community is thinking about on uh, working on a little bit as well with some of our other colleagues and cohorts. and. So uh, I guess we'll, we'll plant the seed of suspense with our audience and um, encourage folks to stay tuned with all of this, because I think what we're seeing is a tremendous opportunity and need worldwide across many different disciplines and, and, and interest uh, uh, affinity groups that have so much overlap with the cultural healing and restoration work, the ecological regeneration and stewardship work and of course the economic transformation work that is so important to these times that we're living in and and i'm curious i mean one of the threads running through many of these uh intentional communities and eco villages as you mentioned earlier cynthia can include a different way of sharing resources than we're perhaps accustomed to seeing in the mainstream and i'm, I'm curious if you might share with us a bit of what what you've seen and, and how some some communities are very intentionally going about that. Yeah. I think most intentional communities are not being so radical in designing alternative economies. Some, some are, certainly. But most intentional communities are doing something that I think is pretty, pretty radical compared to most of the rest of the world, increasingly so with modernization and consumerism and us living more and more in isolation where we don't share as much as we could, nearly as much as we could or, or, or should or would benefit us to do so. Um, and so that's, I think, one of the unique things in intentional communities, even small communities like mine, um, we don't have this whole grand scheme of like, oh, we're going to rearrange our economy, but, but we more so are just comfortable like sharing and 
asking when we need things and offering things. You know, if I if I'm thinking of making a purchase for an appliance or a big piece of equipment or a tool, like you know maybe a lawnmower or some fancy thing for my kitchen, I first always ask, like, does anyone have one already that I could use or borrow? And often the answer is yes. Um, and it goes beyond just sharing material things, but also sharing time together and exchanging time. Uh, we have a lot of young kids in our community. And of course, childcare is a big problem for so many families. And so this is one of the, the huge benefits of living in an intentional community where you have folks who are retired, who have free time to watch kids. You have you know, teenagers who are looking to make a little more income and they can watch kids, uh, you know, just being able to have other adults around to pitch in and help out with childcare, as well as I think the food is a big area where our community gathers to share time and resources. As I mentioned earlier, we have this garden. We also have chickens and goats and, um, yeah, I would say in the summer, especially, we're growing nearly all of our vegetables. We try to grow enough that we can put up for the winter uh, and, you know, and, and have that, that local food source throughout the winter months as well. So those are some simple ways that our community, you know, does resource sharing a little differently. And then, yeah, you can have communities, for example, Twin Oaks is one of the oldest income sharing communities or, or true communes. They've been around for 50 years. And when you join this community, you essentially freeze your outside assets. You are employed within one of the community's several businesses and all of your basic needs are provided for, including your food, your housing, your health insurance, all through the community. And all of the community's business income is collectively managed as a group. Um, yeah. And so as long as you're part of the community, you have these needs cared for. And then, of course, you can leave the community when you when you decide to do so as well. Um, and there are probably a handful of income sharing communities, maybe a dozen or so in the United States. There's also a collection in Germany and they have proven that this model works. It's, it's a really different. It's, you know, it's really collectively managing resources as a small localized community uh, and it's working for them. It's not what I would choose necessarily for my own lifestyle, but there's a whole bunch of people who are really passionate about creating these more equitable, just systems of governance and resource sharing as a community. Yeah, it's so interesting. And it reminds me, of an episode we recently did with uh, Georgia Kelly about the Mondragon cooperatives, not that they're necessarily an eco village or an intentional community per se, but essentially are a cooperatively governed uh, system of various businesses that now has something like 90,000 owner members in, in that system. And as an economic unit, they're doing somewhere on the order of 15 billion euros uh, per year in, in business. And uh, so it's, it's really interesting to see how some of these emerging patterns scale, you know, up and down in, in size and locality. And uh, seems, seems to me that uh, you're onto something here, right? And, and that the world is onto something here with a different approach where we're not as isolated. We're not all sort of you know, running in our hamster cages just to get all of the various tools that we need to maintain the lifestyle that we've selected and so on. And, and that there's this opening spaciousness that allows for more connectivity and meaning and quality of life. And I imagine that not only do we see some profound environmental benefits from all of this, but also health and wellness benefits, right? And I'm curious, you know, how much research have you been able to track down uh, looking at the health and wellness benefits coming from this kind of lifestyle choice? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Um, yeah, before I touch on that, I'll just mention, since you mentioned Mondragon, which is a yeah. business cooperative, there's also a whole model around housing cooperatives, which yeah. is a form of intentional community where you can be a member owner of your housing. So it's, yeah, it's neat to see those patterns translate across different sectors. 
Uh, yeah. So health and wellness. I think I have an article on my blog where I share some of the research that's been done into the health benefits of community living. Honestly, I wish there was a lot more research. This is a this is a call to researcher. Please do some studies on intentional communities for for the health benefits and a whole variety of interesting topics that could be gleaned by studying them more. Uh, as everyone knows, we have this loneliness crisis. Even before COVID, there was an epidemic of loneliness in the United States in particular. Uh, I think there was a study done at the end of 2020, so really in the thick of the pandemic, which showed that 60% of Americans, so more than half of American adults, feeling lonely on a regular basis. This is, this is a really, really huge problem. I don't think these numbers have necessarily decreased a whole lot since the pandemic. And, you know, it makes sense to a certain degree because as humans, we evolved as a species in these close-knit social circles. And most of us have lost that. You know, maybe we turn to our, our devices and social media to rekindle that kind of connection, but it's not the same thing, nearly as really having intimate connection with the people who live near and around you and seeing them on a daily basis and waving hi and going over to knock on your neighbor's door when you've had a hard day and need somebody to talk to. There's these, these bonds of relation and intimacy and belonging that are lost. And that has a big impact on our mental health and our physical health. Um, so I'm not saying that intentional communities are the only way or the, you know, the way for everyone, it's not a fit for everyone, but certainly worth exploring for those who are looking to bake in more of that connection into their lives. And not only the more extroverted people, I think this is especially important for introverted people. There's a lot of folks who say that those who live in intentional community are actually mostly introverts because the extroverts maybe have an easier time forming those relationships just in modern life. Uh, whereas, you know, someone who doesn't really needs to have a situation in their housing where they can open their door you now and get that connection. They can close their door when they need more of that privacy time. So most communities create that balance that, that privacy spectrum where it's not like you're in each other's business all the time. But certainly when you, you want to find somebody, hopefully there's somebody hanging out in the garden or there's a, a potluck coming up next week and there's some way for you to connect more closely with the people around you. Yeah, I love that. I really love that. That really resonates for me as a, as a good way of being and living and connecting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm so, I'm so happy that we could take this time together, Cynthia. And, you know, before we, we sign off our main podcast episode together, of course, we're going to do our little behind the scenes segment for our ambassador network. Uh, just another plug to join the ambassador network. If you haven't yet, and want to get some of these uh, additional resources. We've got a variety of uh, videos from different conferences and talks and workshops and, uh, our monthly online meetups and our behind the scenes segments with our podcast guests. And so, yeah, before we transition into that, Cynthia, I just want to be sure to give you the floor. If there's anything you'd like to wrap up with, uh, any sort of message, insight, wisdom, whatever it might be, it would be wonderful to close with that today. Sure. Hmm. I would encourage people to explore intentional communities, to go visit some if you've never visited one. It doesn't need to be this big, scary thing. You might be surprised if you do a little research to find that there's a community near you, near your town or city. Uh, and maybe if there's not, maybe you want to build in a visit on your next vacation or travel. Mm. Because I think it's important that we learn from these models, from these very intentional centers for how to create a different way of being. 
And I would encourage you to go visit a community, even if it doesn't match exactly, you know, your vision or your wish list. Go anyways, talk to the people, go and, and contact them first. Make sure your visit is set up. Never just show up at a community. That's important. But certainly if you get the opportunity by just spending time in this different cultural field, by talking to people who've made some very conscious decisions about where they want to live and how they want to live their lives. I think that can nurture you and inspire you, even if you don't end up moving there for how you can create more community and more connection wherever you're living right now, because we live in times of course, that are tricky. They're tenuous times. There are times when there's a lot of divisiveness we maybe don't connect with our neighbor because there's this, you know, wall between us and a lot of uncertainty and mystery about who that person is and their ideology and their political beliefs and their religious beliefs. And, and so mm, having intentional communities as models for how we can relate to each other, uh, because it's not like those things go away when you live in an intentional community. Even in the most like-minded community, it's not always like personality. <laughs> and so there's still conflict. Yeah, I want to not paint too much of a rosy picture. There's, there's disagreements in community. It's challenge. It's work. But it's also really cool to see models for how it can function to hold that diversity in a good way. And hopefully these communities can be inspiration for, for the folks listening and for a broader society about how we can design things differently. So wonderful. Such a, such a pleasure to be able to visit with you today, Cynthia. Thank you so much. Thank you, Aaron. It was really nice to visit with you as well. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. Bye. Bye. The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code whyonearth, all one word, with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.